Welcome to the internet, live from the Marriott Library at the University of Utah. This is the Red Line Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Dunstan, and these are my co-hosts... Alex Fielder and... Kyle Holland. Today, we've got an episode that's very near and dear to our hearts. We're going to talk about the history of our local transit agency, the UTA, or Utah Transit Authority. (laughs) As usual, we'll talk history, then go off into a... (laughs) Totally based (laughs) speculation about the future. Roll the theme music. The history of public transportation in Utah begins, like everything else in Utah, with Brigham Young. In 1872, he and several other men created the Salt Lake City Railroad Company, which began its initial service using a mule-drawn cart later that year. (laughs) I love how we're building, like, in in the 1800s, we're building, like, straight-up rails in the street, and they were like, hmm, what should be used to power this? I know... Horses slash mules. The pollution's low. The pollution, but they poop. Well, they don't spew fumes and crap. Diesel engines. Methane. Well, coal-fired <laughs> steam engines of the day were not very clean burning. That's fair. Meanwhile, mules, very clean burning. Well, it's easier to love, like, a horse than it is to love a... A trolley a, engine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. spewing, like, coal crud into your air. Yeah, we don't want the 1800s equivalent of a diesel multiple unit. No, thank you. Yeah, nope. Uh, Mules. <laughs> yes. Which is why trolleys got electrified so early. Yeah, the system stayed much the same until 1889, when the first parts of the line were electrified after 17 years of mule cart service. By 1890, there were nine miles of electrified track on which the Salt Lake City Railroad Company operated eight cars. Wow. And that's quite a bit of track. That is quite a bit of track. That's like, what? Four and, four and, a, half S, S four and a half S lines. Wait, that's a, yeah. Jeez, <laughs> is that, that our that's unit? Even, that's more than I even thought it was. Is that our unit of measurement now? <laughs> that's <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Uh, yeah. But later that year, the Rapid Transit Company introduced competition to the Salt Lake City trolley market, and several other lines would join the competition soon after. Competition between the Rapid Transit Company and the Salt Lake City Railroad Company was fierce. I mean, these guys, they're literally building lines on the same streets. Didn't, <laughs> didn't we say in a previous episode that they tore up the other's lines? Yeah, they would night? buy, sometimes they would tear up each other's lines, sometimes they would buy each other's lines and tear up the rail just for spite, only to build their own rail. Over it. <laughs> like, it was, it was a crazy time. They were, like, so competitive that by 1893, there were over 73 miles of trolley trackage in the Salt Lake Valley. How, how many miles of line do we have We have now? less tracks than we had in the 1800s. Than we, we have less track. I think that the total number of track we have now because of Front Runner exceeds, like, the maximum amount of track that was ever in streetcars. But, like, tracks compared to trolley tracks back in the day. And these trolleys nothing. were mainly in, like, downtown Salt Lake. We hadn't yeah. filled the whole valley by then. Right. There weren't very many inner urbans, and the ones that there were only had to go to, like, 
Murray. So it was a different time. Highly concentrated trolley trackage. Well, all of this continued for like the next 10 years and eventually both the companies filled out a ton of line and really built together the Salt Lake Valley Rail. Yeah, it was awesome. But in 1901, things changed drastically when heroic gentleman Alfred W. McCume purchased the majority of shares in all five of the existing streetcar companies. Imagine that, five competitive companies. He must have been rich. He must have been very rich. Yeah. <laughs> attraction magnate. That's yeah, attraction. Ooh, I like that word. Let's have traction magnates. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he merged them into the Consolidated Railway and Power Company. And in 1903, Utah Light and Railway organized the merger with Consolidated, creating the famous Utah Light and Railway Company. In the following years, the system was expanded and modernized, undergoing another merger in 1914 to become the Utah Light and Traction Company. And that same year, Trolley Ridership reached its record high of over 38 million paying customers. Million! Wow. Trax does half of that, and they had, like, less than a third of the population that we do now. Like, UTA, at its peak year in, like, 2015 ever, did something like 49 to 50 million rides with the valley population of, like, you know, over a million and a service area of, like, two and a half million people. Like, this trolley system was popping off. (laughs) Well, it was the golden age of trolleys, after all, and they had over 140 miles of track. (laughs) But, of course, it has to go down at some point. The dark days come. Dark days were to come. Between 19 and four, or 1914 and 1926, some of the less profitable outlying lines were shuttered, and a general reorganization was initiated. Ridership also stagnated during this time, and profits decreased despite repeated fare hikes. Oof. And, of course, the evil villain that destroyed everything in America destroyed this. Episode 1. How the car destroyed America. Yeah, watch episode one if you want to know how this really went down and how... Stuff with these traction magnates making deals with cities for monopolistic transit practices in exchange for, like, a fixed fare. Mm -hmm. And then when inflation happened, that fare wasn't enough to cover their expenses, and they were also obligated to maintain roadways used by cars, and cars drove on the trolley tracks, slowing them down. It was a mess. Yeah, so the car destroyed trolleys, however you want to look at it. Indeed. But, you know, they weren't they weren't quite done yet. They were they were still going. So, in 1928, in an attempt to save the company, the world's first ever trolley buses were introduced in Salt Lake City. Many routes on the streetcar system were also converted to gasoline buses this time. So, we're pretty innovative around here. Yeah. Wait, so the first ever trolley buses. The first ever trolley buses in the world were in Salt Lake City. Why don't we make a big deal out of this? I know. Why aren't we having cutesy heritage trolley buses yeah. going around downtown? Like, what's the deal with this? We could totally sell that. We could totally sell that. It's our heritage. We are the inventors of the trolley bus. We should have a new one. Definitely not on the line. Oh, we're putting it on the line that gets the most ridership, the 35M. 
wow, I wonder why. No, it's just for heritage purposes and not to decarbonize our most used bus line. A high-speed heritage trolley bus. Our high-speed heritage <laughs> trolley bus, right. <laughs> Is this how we get stuff done? Maybe we should electrify UVX. Yes. <laughs> like, then yes. it would actually be good because it would be decarbonized. And also put it on the side of the road so there's enough to deal with traffic because obviously they failed at doing transit right. signal priority. Right. I, if, but at the point that you're going to make a improved bus service trolley bus, wouldn't you just want to put in, like, light rail or a streetcar? <laughs> Don't tell anybody that. That's how, that's how we get stuff done. Anyway, um, but even despite uh, all these like closings and cuts, uh, Utah Light and Traction kept operating trolleys until 1944, and they had consistent ridership at about 15 million a year from 1935 to 1940. Not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. So maybe we should have kept it? Question mark. Question mark. Well, if it didn't seem bad enough for the trolley company, in 1939, the federal government required the Utah Light and Rail Traction Company to split into two businesses, one for trolleys and one named the Salt Lake City Lines for bus services. Great, because, you know, transit monopolies aren't actually necessary for a functioning transit system or anything. <laughs> you know, whatever. It's like splitting UTA into, like, just yeah, we're gonna have and just... Weber County Transit Agency, Davis County Transit Agency, Salt Lake County Transit Agency, Utah County Transit Agency, and they all have to share front-runner operation. Like, this is what's going on. Oh, my goodness. And all of them except Salt Lake City will promptly collapse because yes. we're propping the whole system out. We are. Was this um, the time of, like, the busting of the big companies? Uh, this is actually a little later than that. A bit later? Yeah. So just I'm just not... another thing they do for Yeah, it was, it was an act that the feds made for some reason, and it's kind of stupid. But Probably would have worked back in, like, 1890 when there was such fierce competition, but now there's not. Yeah, there's just one company doing all of it, so I don't know why they made them split up. But federal government's going to do what they're going to do. Either way, there was a temporary reprieve in the collapse of public transit in America in the form of the good old American... Great crusade of amazingness, definitely World War II, when everyone's like, oh crap, we can't drive because that takes rubber gas and those things are needed to blow crap up and help the troops. So instead of doing that, we're going to ride the bus slash take the trolley. And so ridership actually recovered and it soared for a little bit and then immediately collapsed after the war. Like it did everywhere. Like it did everywhere. By 1950, we were getting 12 million riders a year on the whole system. That's like a massive decrease. So not great. And Salt Lake City Lines, they were caught in this massive squeeze. Despite fare hikes and massively reduced service, they went from like 6.4 million service miles to like 4 million, which is a third of your trips being just disappeared. (laughs) I, I can even imagine that today. (laughs) Yeah, no, me neither. Like, even our service cuts recently from front lines weren't that bad, so... Yeah. But the failure of privately owned transit in Salt Lake City was inevitable. I mean, like, it just kept decreasing throughout the decades until, like, 1968, when it was just completely screwed. Oh, and the trolleys were also dismantled, as were the trolley buses. All the routes were torn out before the end of the war. 
We should link to the If Trolley Cars Should Talk. If Trolley Cars Should Talk oh, will be linked in the and description. And all but one trolley line by the end of the war. Oh, that's right. One was torn out after the end of the war. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's, an, that's an important thing to know. <laughs> just, just out of pure spite. Just out of pure spite, basically, yeah. Anyways... In 1968, after struggling on for a decade with just plummeting ridership and no revenue, no profits, all that nonsense, uh, Salt Lake City Lines announced that it would discontinue service. And, you know, that's a problem. Yes, and Salt Lake City saw the problem. Uh, So did Murray, Midvale, Sandy, and Bingham, which is now part of West Valley City. All of them saw said problem, and they're like... Oh, crap. And they lobbied the Utah State Legislature to allow them to form a public transit district. The legislature was like, sounds good to me. And on March 3rd, 1970, the Utah Transit Authority was born. All hail. All hail, UTA. Go. Go, go. Go, go, UTA. People going places go UTA today. Wanna make a fuss If you come and ride the bus You know it really pays When you ride the UTA We ride UTA So I don't know the rest of that But anyway UTA Pretty cool I do not either Uh, Mostly (laughs) (laughs) But UTA got 68 ancient buses Like we're talking like These things are 10, 20 years old At this point They're ancient and you know they began service on the same routes that salt lake city lines had so they're doing okay and fair get this 15 cents wow like even even inflation adjusted that's like cheaper than it is now i believe let's let's check that in the inflation calculator real fast to be fair you want people to ride to be fair to be fair (laughs) huh you're very funny man yeah, so fifteen cent fare in nineteen seventy, a dollar and eighty seven cents. That's still way cheaper, my guys. Now it's two fifty. It's two dollars with fare pay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it might not be anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, it might fair. Be free now. Free fare, fingers plan. crossed. I mean, it boosted Farrunner ridership big time by so, like twenty five percent, which is impressive. Especially for, like, only two weeks since... Anyway, watch episode four, The Case for Free Fares. But in the early days, their main problem, UTA's main problem, that is, was a lack of stable revenue. And that was solved in 1973 when the state was like, have some booze money and (laughs) use the liquor tax to help fund the agency. The next year, Davis and Weber counties joined UTA and sales tax revenue, UTA's main funding source today, was finally offered to the agency by the state. Awesome. And then, the next year, UTA acquired Ogden City Lines, Metro Transportation, and Lakeshore Motor Coach Lines, and that's in 1974, increasing its service and beginning a, like, massively popular route called the Golden Spike Express between Ogden and downtown Salt Lake City. I love that name. I know. Why isn't the 470 named that? Yeah, we should rename the 470. (laughs) Why is the 470 not the Golden Spike Express? Do you think giving all of our lines interesting names would help... Well, you'd have to keep the number. I off. think well, it would yeah, just yeah, be but fun. Like, but just nicknames. It would be fun. Keep the number, keep the Ogden whatever name, and mm-hmm. just paint the Golden Sprite hey. Express on the side of the right. bus. Right. Well, yeah, make all of the interesting bus lines have interesting looking buses. Right. Like the yeah. three, the 35M has interesting buses. 
they have a cool livery that has like a giant X on it. It's like Max. <laughs> <laughs> Maximum bus. Maximum bus. Well, uh, by the mid 1970s, UTA's annual ridership had reached 600,000 per year. Yeah, so I think that this really puts into perspective how much bus ridership had dropped in the last 20 years because the 600,000 was an increase over the, the start of their operating period. Oof. Uh, so basically it had gone from like 12 million in 1950 to literal hundreds of thousands by 1970. So Dead. not great. Dead. Right. Car Valley. Uh, and near the end of the 1970s, ski bus service was inaugurated Ooh. and it proved to be popular enough that by 1984, the ski resorts paid for like 32 new buses. I know. Like, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, in the same year, in 1984, Utah County joined UTA, bringing the service area to its current size. Ta-da! Ta-da! And a beautiful thing we enjoy today is the Free Fair Zone, which was established in 1988. Take that, Portland. We still have our Free Fair Zone. Yeah, get wrecked, Portland. Bring back Free Fair Square. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. um, Service remained pretty consistent with some, you know, minor improvements to, like, service until the opening of the Tracks Light Rail System. Behold, the age of expansion. The age of expansion. UTA literally went off in the 2000s. We're not kidding here. Like, they went from, like, you know, oh, we operate bus routes, we're cutesy little transit agency, to, like, a behemoth commuter rail, light rail, bus, Improved bus service. Fake streetcar. Express bus. Fake streetcar. We have basically every mode other than subway. (laughs) (laughs) Rip. We should have a subway. We should have a subway. We should get a subway. We're big enough for it. We should. Um, (laughs) All right. That's for a later episode. So, in 1999, the golden age of UTA began with the opening of the Sandy Salt Lake Line. Now called the Blue Line. Funnily enough, it goes from Sandy to downtown Salt Lake. That's weird. I know, right? (laughs) Who would have thought? I know, clever naming scheme. Clever naming scheme, yeah. Uh, The line immediately exceeded its 10-year ridership (laughs) projection. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it did. It was was supposed to get something like 12 to 14,000 riders a day when it opened and it just immediately was doing like 19 20,000 a day <laughs> trains are cool and basically all of our lines have done that other than the green line so mm. like it, it's yeah maybe maybe people like rail question mark yeah so despite some limited public opposition before they finished the project it was so popular. It was so popular. It was so Everybody popular. was all okay. over the thing. But, yeah, you see a train, the first train, in, like, the longest time, you want to ride it. You want to ride it. Yeah. That's why Front Runner is so popular. <laughs> Even post-pandemic, it's still getting 10,000 riders a day. Like, that's pretty impressive. Uh, only two years later, for the Olympics, obviously... The system was expanded up fourth south to reach Rice Eccles Stadium, which was the Olympic Stadium, at the University of Utah. And at this time, Sunday service was also established on 18. 18- Wait, this is the first time. Well, before this, there were only three routes with very limited service on Sundays. But a sales tax rise in 2000 allowed UTA to really improve weekend service, get Sunday service in there. It was a good time. A whole quarter of a cent on the dollar sales tax rise. Right, and then. 
came the glorious day of UTA when it got to shine on the world stage, when every single international broadcast agency was showing tracks, trains, and UTA buses. And all the pins they made for that Olympics, right? a lot of them have trains on them. They do, because <laughs> the tracks was a big deal back then. Still is, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Yeah, but after years of preparations, it was UTA's time to shine. The 2002 Winter Olympics came to Salt Lake City, and the agency carried over 4 million passengers in a 17-day period. Wow. (laughs) That's big. Uh, Considering that weekly ridership at the peak times of UTA was about a million, uh, we're talking about close to 2 million a week there. Mm -hmm. This is big. I mean, demand was literally so high that we had to borrow light rail vehicles from Dallas Area Rapid Transit. So if you look at pictures from the Olympics, you can see these iconic dark yellow light rail cars going through Salt Lake City. Wow. It was a time. (laughs) Yes, it was. It was a time, man. But after the Olympics, things did not slow down. In late 2002, UTA purchased over 175 miles of track from Union Pacific, which was, at that time, the largest land acquisition ever undertaken by a public transit agency. It feels like we we do a lot of firsts in Salt Lake when it comes to public transit. We do. We got the trolley buses. We have arguably, like, the Sandy Salt Lake line is arguably one of the best light rail lines ever built. Um, <laughs> like, yes. we're pretty cool around here. Not going to lie. Yeah. And UTA has <laughs> always been on top of land acquisition. Yes, like, they, they, they own so much old rail corridors. They and do. just random plots of land waiting to have stations and park and rides built on them. Yeah. The sooner they buy it, the better. Yeah. (laughs) Indeed. But they weren't done. Of course not. No, no, no. This was 2000's UTA. So, a (laughs) tracks expansion opened to University Medical in 2003, to Sandy Expo in 2005, and frontrunner to Ogden, a 40-mile stretch of track, opened in 2008. And then, only like a year later, improved bus service. Our first, I'm going to have to say it. Our first quote-unquote BRT line opened on 35th South. Like, we were going off. And then they went even more buck wild. They got a 25 cent or a 0.25 on the dollar cent sales tax to fund the Frontlines plan, the most ambitious rail expansion plan in UTS history. And that's after all this other crazy crap they've done. Clocking in at $2.85 billion, this plan expanded tracks to West Jordan, Draper, West Valley City, and the Salt Lake City International Airport. Not to mention taking Frontrunner to Provo, literally doubling the size of the system. Boom. 70 miles of rail in like five years. In like five years. Oh, not to mention the Sugar House streetcar line was also open. And then literally all of these expansions were completed massively ahead of schedule and under budget. Everything was done by 2013. And it, the plan was called Frontlines 2015. Like, it was supposed to open in 2015, but here's Frontrunner opening in 2012 and everything else 2013 or earlier. Yeah, no, it was nuts. Uh, and then we sort of didn't do anything for a while. There, yeah. were, there were some service cuts because they built so much rail so fast that they couldn't afford to maintain everything. And they paid for most of it out it, of pocket. Yeah. Is that such a big problem? Service cuts? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like a lot of buses that used to be 15 minute service are now 30 minute service. There's a big difference between a 15 minute bus and, and a 30 minute well, bus. Well, and there's an even bigger difference between a 30 minute bus and an, and an hour bus. And there are a lot more hour buses than there used to be. So, okay. like, it, yeah. it was a big deal. Hey, we got trains, though. But our train service is still pretty good. So, yeah. 
Um, you could actually trace some of our ridership decline from 2015 to decreased service. That makes because a lot of sense. Because when you decrease service, right, you get less ridership. And when you get less bus ridership, there's less people being funneled to tracks. And tracks gets less ridership, and it funnels people to Frontrunner. So all of our ridership sort of just took a little bit of a slide from 2015 to 2019. It wasn't an enormous slide, but it was a slide. Yeah. It was something like a 10% total slide. So it might not be a bad idea to just fund service increases. Maybe if we... Free fare, fund service increases, voila, we can probably get our ridership back up relatively easily. And beyond. And beyond. And beyond. But UTA has done one big thing since the Frontlines expansion was completed, and that was uh, in 2019 when they opened the UVX, which is an improved bus service line in Utah County, which has been free since its inception, funnily enough. Yeah, it services the Provo and Orem Frontrunner stations, BYU, and in theory, UVO. And in theory, UVU, yeah. Um, (laughs) UVU is now serviced by a pedestrian bridge, which is faster and more frequent than the bus. Yeah, so that may have been a poor decision, but... (laughs) But hey, it services... BYU. It does. Well, you know, it was getting pretty good ridership in 2018, 2019. It was doing about 10,000 weekday riders. Which is really impressive. Yes. Almost like we could have put a rail line there, but, you know. Shut up. Whatever. (laughs) I'm not bitter. I'm just tired. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, that brings us to the UTA of today, which pre-pandemic was averaging about 150,000 riders a day. Let's go. I don't know how they did it, but they pulled it off. I know. Like, hey. let's talk about the state that we're in when Connor, we think about weren't we this. doing 600000 a year in the early days of UTA? In the days of UTA. Now we're so, doing 150000 a day? Yeah. It's done well. It's done I mean, despite well. the recent ridership slides from both, you know, the national ridership slide and plus our bus service decreased. And plus the pandemic. Plus the pandemic. We're not doing badly. I mean, we've recovered significantly by the end of uh, 2021. We got back to about 100,000 riders, so we're two-thirds of pre-pandemic ridership. Not which bad. Is not bad, especially compared to some other systems. Shall we talk about the free fare dashboard? Yes, we shall. Let's talk about the free fare dashboard. Alex, free fare February dashboard? Actually, oh, okay. what, before we do that, we need to chatter on about the future for a bit. Ah, uh, yes. That's so, fun. in the future, UTA does have some exciting plans. Uh, there's the Mountain View Corridor, which is going to run along the new freeway that they're building, of course. Yes. <laughs> the mount- which is called the Mountain View Corridor, funnily enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to start out in Phase 1 and 2 as an improved bus service line with eventual plans in Phase 3 to make it into a tracks line, and I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's awesome that they have plans to actually eventually do it. Of course, in an ideal world, we would just build the rail up front. That would save a lot of money and yes. time. I don't know why they are choosing to build IBS first, but whatever. Because the legislature is all over that improved bus service because it costs less than rail. Because it's worse than rail. Well, yes, but we don't talk about that. Also, uh, UTA is building OGX, also the Ogden Express, which is an uh, improved bus service from Ogden Central Station to Weber State University. So it's it's a project. Yeah, it's kind of the parallel of UVX up there. Except, except more expensive and not as good. Yeah, it's got less dedicated <laughs> Less dedicated lines. lanes, and it costs more per mile, if I'm not mistaken. Wonderful. 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 Um, There are also plans in the near future, probably the end of 2022 or the beginning of 2023, to restore pre-Frontlines bus service. Good. Yes. Which would be very excellent because we would have very few hourly buses. Almost everything would run at a half hour minimum. 
track service would be increased in some places to 12 minutes. It would be a very excellent addition. It would be good. We have this discussion like every episode. Frequency is what gets you a transit system for everyone, not just for people who are forced to use transit. Right. And, you know, we're going into the final phase of the climate crisis. Oh, yeah, that. Where um, if we don't stop doing stuff now, like literally like eight years from now, if we don't have basically decarbonized by 2030 to 2035, we're kind of screwed. So You've seen Britain's plan for this. We'd better get on it. Yeah, no, we need to be aggressively expanding our public transportation because Mm -hmm. I hate to break this to everyone, but electric cars ain't it. Yeah, no. Cars in general. Cars ain't ain't it. it. Because even the infrastructure required to sustain cars is worse for the environment and the climate than the cars themselves. It's also worse for the people who live around that infrastructure. Right. And let's talk about after the climate catastrophe, because we know it's going to happen, because we're not going to meet our goals, probably. Not in America, Uh, we aren't. Not in America, especially. Like, we have 25% renewables, and that's not great. Yeah, no. I don't even think it is 25%. Don't quote me on that, people. But, like... In America, when the climate crisis happens, our cities are the worst designed. There is so much asphalt, it's just going to make the already getting worse heat even worse. There's going to be heat stroke, there's going to be terrible heat waves all over the place. So we have to make the switch now. We got to improve our bus service, we got to aggressively build tracks, we got to aggressively expand Front Runner. We need to be doing all this stuff now. And we gotta stop subsidizing driving as well. Like, Connor, you suggested that we would set a, that there's a fixed number of parking spaces in the valley. All the ones that are My already cool built. My cool idea that I had, yeah. So, basically, I, I've come up with this sort of interesting idea that I haven't heard of before, which is kind of like taxi licenses in New York. Right? In New York, there is a fixed number of taxi licenses. And you can buy one off of people if you want to start your own taxi business or whatever. I propose that we do that with parking spaces. So we have all the parking that's already been built in the valley, and we've essentially built out the entire Salt Lake Valley. There's very limited room for further expansion. Right. So you have those parking spaces, and if somebody else wants to build new parking, they have to buy parking space licenses. And those parking spaces have to be demolished and turned into something else. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, and then the government at the same time aggressively buys up parking spaces. The municipal government does. Aggressively buys up parking spaces to actually decrease the supply of parking in the valley. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of how they're getting rid of tons of roads in Paris. Right. Yeah. Which is a fantastic idea. It is. Uh Especially for such a historical city like Paris. And we're, yeah. yeah. And I would argue parking is an even better way to solve that, especially around here, because if you can, say, reduce parking downtown, that means that less people will be using the freeway, so the people who are using it will be able to use it uncongested. Right, and more people will use the tracks. Yes. Or the front runner, or whatever, to get downtown. So we're just twisting those little economic knobs just a little bit to incentivize the things we want and disincentivize the things we don't. Right, and at the same time, we build out additional high-speed transit. Yes, we do. And we increase the amount of bus lanes, and we increase bus service. And that's a great way to sort of de-incentivize driving while making it a whole lot easier to use transit. Let's do it. Let's do it. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. 
Uh, we greatly appreciate all of those of you who have supported us and listened to our podcast thus far. Especially uh, Mike Christensen. Especially Mike Christensen. Our, our first and only patron. Yes, indeed. He joined the Frontrunner tier, which is $10, so that is especially appreciated. Mike, you're awesome. Yes, indeed. Uh, we would also like to thank you formally uh, for getting our BRT versus LRT video over 200 views. That is a, a lot, more than I ever thought it would get, so... Thank you very much. Uh, please remember to subscribe on YouTube, to follow and rate us on Spotify. If you're still using that, I know people are leaving because of Joe Rogan. <laughs> um, uh, hit us up on Patreon. We've just posted our first bit of extras back from episode two. And now that we have Mike as a patron, and hopefully some of you as well, we're going to be posting regular Patreon extras for most episodes. Right. Uh, anything else we need to mention? Oh, visit our website. It's cool. It has sources. Sources are linked in the description, but I've decided I'm going to start reading them. So our main sources today were the Deseret News, the UTA website, utahrails.net, railwaytechnology.com, Scholars Archive BYU, and a couple articles from Wikipedia that are just there for reference purposes. Awesome. Go. Go, go. Go, go UTA. People going places go UTA today. It's not going to be a fuss if you come and ride the bus. You know it really pays when you ride the UTA. We ride UTA. So when you're something on the go, just stop and say UTA. Go, 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 go UTA. Uh, we're in your neighborhood. <laughs> I think that's how it goes, at yeah. least. Yeah. Zoom, zoom. Zoom, zoom. We love UTA. We do.